Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, do you want to know what Evan did today? I caught him doing. Log on to the Patreon Discord. And I see a message from Evan that says someone had asked a question. And you know how Evan is. He'll just like jump into something and answer a question like eight threads deep. And someone asked him something and Evan just took a wild guess at it and then said, oh, I don't know. Ryan doesn't tell us anything. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you'll probably get mad if I say anything more or something like that. The fact that you checked that is amazing. (laughs) For the record. Brad and I have multiple times in the past have had to ask Evan to scroll up two messages for the answer to the very question he was asking, which he had also asked five hours earlier. It'll be something like, what did we decide on this? And I can see the answer on my screen. (laughs) And I just put down my phone for a long time. Yeah, that's why I put everything in a calendar, except (laughs) except for my social life. (laughs) This is how he wins people over. He causes the torment within, and then outwardly, he's like, Ryan and Brad don't tell me anything. I'm just an innocent, just an innocent little man. It's true. Is this what gaslighting is? This is exactly- I feel like this is gaslighting. This is exactly what gaslighting is. I actually never knew before this moment. No, neither did I. I'm just taking a stab in the dark. This just feels like it's what it is. I still have no idea what that is. That tracks. That all tracks. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This uh, is our- um, Last episode before the meetup. This is the final episode that we are recording before we run our event partnered with the Detroit Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena on Saturday, November 13th, um, filled with excitement, anxiety, and 10 other emotions and I don't know, whatever chemicals are going on in my brain to form something else that's I'm sure brand new. I'm one your host, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco because that's what Evan wants you to believe. <laughs> and I'm Evan. <laughs> this guy's torture. Legitimately be like having anything to do with Evan is actual mental anguish. Kat is either the most resilient woman in the world or she's just so far broken down. It's one of those for sure. And you don't know the answer. It depends on the day, I think. Why would it matter to you? All the same. Yeah. All the same. Okay, uh, we are going to talk about Red Wings hockey, the Detroit Red Wings, Mort Sider, Lucas Raymond and company um, scuttled the efforts of of Connor McDavid to try to pull any New York Rangers funny business on the Red Wings. So we, are, of course, are going to gloat and talk and cheer about that. Um, and we have actually some updates about the podcast. So the structure of this podcast, especially relevant to overtime, uh, we've heard some feedback. Uh, we've consulted all of the most important people in the world we even gave pavel datsuk a call he did not answer the phone uh and we've decided to make some changes based on all that but before we get into that the jamie daniels foundation uh it's an organization we're very very proud to partner with um all the tickets bought for wind wheel podcast night at the lca portion of those proceeds benefits the jamie daniels foundation last night uh robert tebow i believe on twitter um started us off with a 50 dollar commitment in case the red wings actually did beat the oilers prashanth Iyer uh matched up to or said he would pitch in 200 we said we'd match and let's see if we can get this thing to a grand and when i went to bed last night i think we were at 15 or 1600 bucks because the red wings did indeed triumph over the edmonton oilers so you guys are all amazing um it was equal parts hysterical and incredible and heartwarming this is the best community out there all other hockey teams Fan bases suck compared to us. Yes. Wings Money on the Board is running our first uh, special event. So the Saturday, November 13th, Winged Wheel Podcast Night game is also going to be a special event for Wings Money on the Board. Uh, There are things going to be – it's a one-off commitment. So you go to uh, the website, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. You'll see the post there. Uh, You can make a commitment for the full season, which is what we've been doing. But for the special event, you make a one-off commitment to that game. So – Brad decides I'm going to donate $50 for every Lucas Raymond point. Uh, Lucas Raymond puts up three points. Brad donates 150 bucks, or it could be $5, whatever you guys 
uh, can manage. And then he's automatically entered into a draw to win some cool prizes. We got a signed Michael Rasmussen jersey. We got bobbleheads. We got windwheelpodcast.com store gift cards. We got t-shirts. Uh, we got uh, one of Evan's signatures. Huh. <laughs> luck. Yeah. Big money stuff. So check that out as well. Uh, and the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org as well for more info on the celebrity roast of Brett Hall and the silent auction that they're running. Okay. I said before that I just hope the Red Wings escape Connor McDavid unscathed. And little did I know the very force that would stop Connor McDavid at the end of a game where Detroit was leading by one goal was a beautiful defensive stop by Danny DeKaiser. <laughs> because, of course, absolutely, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Red Wings beat. The Oilers on the strength of a strong defensive play by Danny DeKaiser and a two-assist night from Michael Rasmussen. Everything made sense last night. Last night was one of the best game-planned games I've seen by Jeff Blashill in his career as Red Wings head coach. Who have the Edmonton Oilers been all season? Incredibly hot offense. One of the toughest offenses to play all year. What was their power play shooting at like 50% coming into the game? Something like that. Um I have nothing to say for defense. They were winning by one goal in like 15 goal games left and right. I don't know if that's a real stat, but that's just the general vibe of the Edmonton Oilers. What did Jeff Blashill do? He put Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond against that top line the whole night. If you check their numbers, uh, not great because all their their main job was just to try to contain McDavid and Dreisaitl, which they held them to one point, a McDavid goal that realistically Ned would have loved to have had back. And then secondary scoring showed up for the Red Wings and defense did their job. Executed perfectly. It was almost comical at times watching this game plan because it was effective. But you could see the fear in the player's eyes because <laughs> the game plan was very obviously don't let McDavid wind up. If he if he gets the puck at a standstill in the offensive zone and he wants to run a cycle, fine. Let him do it. Just stay between him and the net. But anytime there's open space and he's getting to the puck, like just get a stick on him, lay lay the body on him. You don't even have to win the puck cleanly. Just don't let him wind up. And there were so many times you could see the Red Wings players where it's like just a half a step behind and they realize that, uh oh, here he goes. And it's like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> and they're just like panicking to get over. But it worked because like they, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't clean. But a lot of the times they were able to keep him off balance and mm -hmm. the one time they really not the one time but one of the few times they really let him wind up he did score um so it's kind of a testament to how good Connor mcdavid is where the red wings execute a damn near flawless game plan against him and he still burns them once yeah and very close very nearly a few other times but uh if not for the mighty danny de kaiser yeah but no it was it was the right game plan to have against a, a team like that because let's be honest their offense uh though improved from last year still not that deep so if you neutralize Connor mcdavid the oilers are one of the few teams where the red wings might actually have better offensive depth <laughs> it's just that top line is is what it is so yeah. it was a good game plan and it worked i said after the game that detroit should be proud that they held Connor mcdavid to one measly goal and that wasn't like i wasn't trying to be funny like yeah. genuinely the guy he did continue his uh point streak to open the season but those two players held to one point is just fantastic for detroit um alex and my god yeah he's perfect no like i i think of course he had that goal he would have loved to have had back from mcdavid although it was a little sneaky i mean when you have mcdavid's speed coming down like that how, how are you if you're nadelkovich how are you supposed to seal the five hole there because it didn't go along the ice. He got that over the stick in between the, the legs, like the thighs, if you want to be specific. How do you seal that when you're trying to la move laterally at Connor McDavid's speed? It's it's those little things that make him different. Yeah. Uh, Nedeljkovic is diving, poke check on his back, butter, like sprawled out. That's Dominic Hasek, right? Oh, yeah. That's Hasek. Road hockey. Oh, yeah. Maneuver. That's like when you yell dominator and sprint out of the net with your stupid road hockey pad. Like that was amazing. <laughs> Ned has settled in so nice. We keep talking about it. He continues like this. He's in that conversation. He's in the conversation for some, from, for some award votes. Um, 
huge, huge for Detroit. Philip Peronik is someone I want to talk about. I understand this is going to sound like bitching and it's not, I promise you. There are a lot of advanced analytics and, and models and things that are supposed to be able to isolate for the player. So it doesn't matter who your partner is, who your line mates are. It's supposed to isolate your impact on the game, no matter what. And I think that in general, a lot of them do a really good job, but they're not perfect. And I just cannot help but think that someone like Philip Ronick, who was glued to Danny DeKaiser to start the year, played some of the worst hockey we've seen him play since the start of last season, got scratched, came back, and is now playing with Nick Letty. Like, I genuinely think there's there's so much to this mental game, especially with Philip Peronik, that has to do with who he's paired with, the confidence based on his partner, the situations he's in where it can't accurately be captured, you know, by the metrics as they are right now. And this isn't saying advanced analytics are wrong. Philip Peronik's actually amazing. No, he had a stinker to start the year. I just think that the conclusions that Philip Peronik was a complete bust and we should give up on him, that was a little bit too much. So his play since he's been back with Letty has been really, really, really good. He's far more aggressive is the the main difference I've noticed. Obviously, his defensive game is a little better. His transition's a little better. But especially in the offensive zone, he's he's making things happen. He's not afraid to pinch. He's looking for those cross-seam passes. He's doing more of what made him successful a couple years ago versus the relative down year he had last year. And, you know, a lot of that is because Nick Letty can save his ass when it goes wrong because you can't be an aggressive defenseman without making mistakes. It just doesn't exist. Um, So, which is good because, let's be honest, Danny DeKaiser could not save his ass when he tried something and it went wrong. So yep. not that Heronik's out there trying to walk guys or dipsy doodle, but just, you know, pinching at the right time, taking that lane. If, if it's available when, you know, one of the wingers or the centerman has the puck and it's, it's refreshing to see. Cause I think I even talked about it a week ago. He looks like a completely different player since he's been back. And obviously I'm sure being paired with Letty has a little bit to do with that, but yeah, it's just it's a it's a, looks like a mindset shift more than anything. Yeah, and it's not. I don't think it's like. I don't want this to be Philip Peronix of the perfect two way defenseman. He's a top pairing guy in the league across every team. That's not it. I think a good Philip Peronix game is show your offense and be sufficient defensively. Anything extra is gravy because that's Philip Peronix not a shutdown defenseman. That's not who he is. That's not who he's ever been. Um, but as long as he's not a liability. And then he has the confidence to go out and do those offensive things. And that, that's what you want. And then you float up between the first and second pair, depending on who the partners are and who the Red Wings personnel is. Um, that's what you want to see. I think gone are the days where we think about Philip Peronik as like a bonafide number one or two guy. I know we had a lot of ambition for that, but he can float between like three, four, maybe the two guy, depending. Perfectly fair. Yeah, he's he's a good number three guy in a, in a perfect world, I, th- I think. That's kind of where I've settled on it, depending how the rest of the defense looks. Okay. Um, Don't answer this because I know you've seen it. Evan, Tyler Bertuzzi is tied for first in even strength goals across the entire NHL with Alex Ovechkin. Who is tied for second? That's a Detroit Red Wing. Vladimir Mesnikov. Did you see the tweet? No. You just knew? Well, who's ever in his body right now <laughs> is Alex Ovechkin or Connor McDavid. But I saw him on the ice with Vlad Nemesnikov last night. So it's no, it's not him. <laughs> Careful. Don't ask too many questions. The FBI is going to come knocking. Yeah. Uh, who is this guy? He, he's got my confidence when I've hit like three massive drives right down the middle. No, oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to give a hockey analogy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Or like that confidence you have when there's a massive group watching you on the first tee and you just rip one. Just a straight piss missile down the middle. Absolute the rocket. Yeah. I don't know who the, Vlad Nemesnikov is right now, but it's not the guy I remember. I was a little concerned to start the year because I was like, where is he going to fit into this offense? It seems a little stagnant. We're looking at Vlad Nemesnikov where if he keeps this up, there are going to be people knocking on Eisenman's door for him come trade deadline. And – Eisman's going to have some decisions to make with this team, depending on where they're at at the trade deadline. They're going to be sellers at the <laughs> deadline. Yeah. 
I I love this topic because I know it just grinds Brad's gears. Even if they're in a playoff spot, even if they do end up making the playoffs, they are not in a position to win the Stanley Cup this year. So you still have to take the approach of focusing on the future. Um, cause I've always been of the mindset that if you're, unless you're a top, let's say six seed in your conference outside of the outlier circumstances where the LA Kings were like the hottest team in the NHL the last two months, but walked in as an eight seed. So like outside of extenuating circumstances like that, you're a seller mm-hmm. plan for the future. Even if that is to just stamp hat, you're not buying, but the Red Wings have so many UFAs this year that just from an asset management standpoint, you have to. You have to, because you're not going to keep all of them between Nemesnikov, Fabry, Letty, Gagne, and I could keep going. But yeah, I'd rather keep Fabry long term. And if we can maximize value on Nemesnikov on a heater, this is this is almost a perfect storm. I want to talk more about that. And there's actually going to be a long conversation about that. We're going to be talking about it all year. But Nemesnikov himself obviously had that gorgeous goal where he went straight down the sideboards, dance around the defenseman. Was that Tyson Berry? Of course it was Tyson Berry. <laughs> A lot. Who else was lying on the ice? <laughs> That's a lot of money to get turned around and sprawled by Vladimir Um, And then obviously the second goal was right play, right time. Um, where Adam, everyone saw that Adam Ernie pass. Yeah. I don't care intentional or not. That's badass. He deserves a trophy for it. <laughs> what being, I, I, being held back one hand on a stick, kicks his stick into a fluttering puck. Puck goes to the air, into the air to the point. Shot from the point, Nemesnikov buries the rebound. Second assist of the year. That is the inverse of the kind of luck and fortune that the Red Wings had last year. What was the one stat that based on, was it expected goals percentage? The Red Wings are actually undershooting where they should be right now, which is crazy. (laughs) Not who's in Nemesnikov's body. Who's in this entire team's bodies? Yes. Is Is this where the Tampa Bay Lightning have gone? This is... Yesterday was not a perfect game. The Red Wings did their classic in the third period for a lot of it. Just sit back and wait for the Oilers to attack. Like they were dominating the first two periods. And then in the third there, it's like they knew McDavid was coming and they just kind of let him do it. But still, the game planned it well. They shot well. Depth came through when the, the top line was tasked with shutting down their top line. Man, these Red Wings are making serious noise. Edmonton is no joke. That was a 9-1 team coming into that game. 9-1. I didn't think Edmonton played particularly well. No, they didn't. They did Partly their fault, partly because the Red Wings game planned them well. I'm just like... <sighs> we haven't even talked about Leon Dreisaitl, which is amazing. He, he had a horribly frustrating evening, it mm-hmm. looked like. The Red Wings did like the Red Wings did a good job neutralizing them as much as you can neutralize those players. Um, one of Detroit's best players who only got on the score sheet with the empty net goal at the end, Moritz Sider. There is going to be a lot of dunking based on people's uh, analysis of Moritz Sider coming to the draft, and this isn't a complaint; it's fair, and we welcome it because. Remember when we were talking about tempering expectations for Moritz Sider's overall game? Too late. Yeah. Yeah. His – there's 10 different plays that night where I was like, this kid should not be doing this at this age. He's 20 years old. You'd think he was in the league for 10 years. The diving keep gets up on his knees, makes the pass before he's even standing straight up at the blue line. The His footwork and his movement and his puck control – cycling around the offensive zone around the perimeter to get the shot off who is this kid the red wings we talked about it last episode with lucas raymond and moritz sider they essentially had the impossible task of trying to find like a top two talent in each of their drafts to basically move the the rebuild along without winning the draft lottery it's early, 14 games. It's it. Like, four, things can go so differently from here on out, or after 40 games, or after 50 games, or after a season. Sure. But man, it's not just Lucas Raymond is special. It's not just Moritz Sider is special. They are both special. Moritz Sider doesn't even have to do the like crazy Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes rushes. Like, his game that he has right now is very sustainable from the looks of it. So. <laughs> The fact that, you know, he still has never played an 82-game professional season, so that's a big question mark, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but the way he plays, like you feel like it could go forever. You know how I, I constantly, first of all, you know how I say the same things over and over on this podcast because we talk too much? Never noticed. Mm. Shut up, Brad. You know how uh, I always say that thing about defensemen where it's like they really need 200 games, 200 reps before they understand the little ins and outs of be, like being a pro defenseman in the NHL? Yeah, you're definitely the original thought on that one. No, I'm not saying I'm the original thought. I'm just saying <laughs> I repeated on this that's podcast. That's the free space on the bingo card. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually used to play defense, so in case oh, that's really? the free space. I did not know I've, that. Cider is doing the things that you would want a defenseman to do after those 200 games. Now. He's doing them now. Yeah. This might be like where the benefit of playing in the SHL has really shown up for him. Mm -hmm. Because like, if he played in a junior league, he would have definitely been able to get away with some bad mistakes just by being physically dominant over other 19-year-olds. Whereas when he played in the SHL, like it's mostly grown men with some top tier talent there, like he's sort of already worked out some of those, those issues that he may or may not have ever had. Um, so when he, he comes a little more polished into the NHL, this is his fourth season against men. He had what, two in the DEL. He had one in the DEL, one in Grand Rapids, one in the SHL. I think there's some, something to now be said about prospects who play in the pro leagues rather than, the CHL, for example. Yeah. Like when you're 18 years old and you've drafted, you're probably going to run over a lot of the kids who are 16, like still trying to figure out their game and their body where like if you're drafted or you're 17 playing in the, in a pro league somewhere, like you're well ahead of those guys already because they have never experienced the the strength and the skill that any pro league has. Mm-hmm. Not to say the CHL is bad by any means, but, oh, but like it's kids. Yeah, but there's there's definitely something about guys lately who've come out of the the pro leagues, the lower tier pro leagues, and then have success in the NHL immediately. It's kind of it seems to be that sweet spot, eh? Because like you can't just come into the NHL if you're not ready. Pretty much, ru- sure. ruin Michael Rasmussen, and, and I mean that depends on skill level. I'm not sure. That's going to vary from player to player. But if you go to a weaker league, but that's still against physically like developed men yeah. and the pace is higher and the strength is higher and they hit harder, then yeah, it, that seems to be a good recipe. It seemed to, it's seemed to be, be uh, it's just something I've noticed recently with guys who come out of those pro leagues. Like they look more NHL ready than even guys who are like top five in the CHL, for example. It's a tough spot for the NHL as well and the CHL because the CHL is still the NHL's arguably most important feeder series and the NHL cannot just burn them with that agreement by reshaping it so that the CHL loses all their stars. Those teams need to put butts in seats. It's a whole thing. Um, But we're going to see, I think even if it's not like regimented and even if it's not like structured within the rules, you're going to see a lot of guys, a lot more guys doing this, I think. It's been tried and true now, and especially with the pandemic, so many guys going overseas because the OHL didn't run last year, for example, it, we're, we're going to definitely see more of it happening. Yep. That's probably why we've seen Lucas Raymond come off to such a hot start. He's always had the skill, had a year in the SHL against grown-ass men to to hone it and to, to get ready for the physical game. Two. I, yeah, two. One where he actually got real minutes, though. Yeah. And I have not seen... I was concerned coming into the season of of people basically punking Lucas Raymond. I have not seen him suffer physically in a in a game. And he actually goes for the hard-nosed areas himself. You well. say that as he missed practice today. Yeah, we were going to cover that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see who's, who is actually available. Lucas Raymond missed practice. And uh, Jeff Blashill noted that a few guys needed maintenance days. So we'll see who's actually available for Thursday night's game. Um, so long as they're available for Saturday. Yeah, that's matter. all like doesn't matter about Thursday. Look, we'll do another Wing Group podcast night right after <laughs> if we don't see Lucas Raymond. <laughs> um the more cider thing though, it, it's a conversation that came up on Twitter. Um <laughs> Valeno, the Twitter handle, not the user, or, or not the player, uh, was in a very genuinely very funny way calling out people who like were shocked at the cider pick or were upset about the cider pick. Literally Every hockey fan ever. There was nobody who said, oh, yeah, I saw that coming. So 
I want to preface this by saying there's no way we can do this little mini segment without big, I'm not owned energy and we'll own that. But we promise you when we say there is literally nothing we've ever been more happy to be wrong about on this podcast. Cider was a player that a lot of people liked. Um, we covered him before the draft as a player where maybe he fell to the second round or they traded up into the late first round or whatever to get him. Uh, we were like, this would be the perfect defenseman to add to Detroit's blue line, just not a six overall guy. And he was kind of moving up boards. And for the most part, he was hovering around the early mid teens, maybe even early twenties area. Yeah. And it wasn't really up until right before the draft where like hours. Yeah. Where Cider was kind of rocketing up people's lists, not even just for personal rankings, but for predictions. At that point, we were pretty infatuated with the idea of Trevor Zegris because we figured Turcotte would be gone. We knew Doc would be gone. To be fair, we weren't wrong about that either. No, Zegris has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's our defense. Well, the guy we wanted turned out okay too. But wow, has Cider just come in and not only destroyed the idea of that he wasn't worth a six overall pick, he's destroyed everyone's perception of him, even for those who were high on him. They were saying he's just a complete defenseman who won't be flashy, but can just do everything reasonably well and play in your top two or even as your number three guy. Moritz Cider, if he keeps this up, could be Detroit's number one defenseman for a long time. Well, I remember the narrative around Sider going into that draft was fascinating because he was the great unknown because there had not been a prospect that had been a first round candidate that had been groomed in the DEL. He was playing low level minutes, very basic role, uh, looked good in the, in his brief stints in the international tournaments and, and obviously had a good world championship that year. But again, playing for Germany at the world championships, no matter how good you look, well, how good are you supposed to look playing? in that spot so everybody was like we we like him but he's got like one goal and however many assists playing you know pretty minimal minutes a night in a mm-hmm. top league that's not heavy heavily scouted so everybody's like yeah he's good but the context here is confusing the shit out of us and it's it wasn't just you know there was a few prospectors who were like oh we're not it was everybody nobody was super high on him to the point where they put him inside the top 10 and everybody was had almost the exact same concerns yeah we don't see the offense and we're not sure what to make of his production in this league at this level so going into the draft yeah i remember thinking oh he could go anywhere from like 12 to 35 and i don't think it would be i would be surprised we were thinking hey maybe he falls to the second the red wing second round pick so it's not like i'm not even gonna say us it's not like everybody didn't like him as a player they were he was like the riskiest pick of that draft going in because just what he was doing and where he was doing it was unprecedented in both good and bad ways because it's good because hey yeah 17 year old playing in a top league and looking good doing it great we don't know what to make of this league though it's like the fifth best league in europe generously so it was heavily underscouted yeah so it, it was what it was um the the important part a part about drafting cider is that there wasn't a moment of doubt after Every time he stepped on the ice, we were like, oh, we're going to be real wrong about this one, huh? Right away from the first development camp, watching him just toe drag guys in the neutral zone and walk everybody. I remember watching development camp like a few weeks after going. Destroying oh. Kirby Doc. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, it, I expected that to stop when he came to the NHL. That was my thing. I was like, okay, development camp. Grand Rapids, Sweden, every one of those steps, he was just better and better and better. And eventually I was like, he's going to have to grind and work through those growing pains and he's not going to be able to just come in and run the show at some point. And a logical person would have said, yeah, the NHL is where that's going to happen. I was fully expecting coming into the season, having Cider do about a quarter 25% as well as he is now and at the end of the season being really happy with his development. But he's doing the exact same thing in the NHL. The way he's able to to display his game 
his defensive abilities, his anticipations, his hockey, his anticipation, his hockey IQ, his puck work, his footwork. I, the the thing that gets me all the time is the power play quarterback thing, like the way he feeds the puck and how smart and calm and just this, not even just the safe play, but the right play every time. Is he infallible? No, no. And will you see hills and valleys? Yeah, sure. Every player goes through it. But when I say this is the most wrong, not even that we've been about a prospect, this is the most wrong I've seen anyone be about a prospect period i don't know you remember alex Degg? no 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 but like in the other direction <laughs> right like i don't know Keith kucherov comes to mind yeah but <laughs> this was in the first round like this was this is a single digit pick yeah kudos to the red wings european scouting team kudos to steve eisman for coming into a, a scouting team where he had what was it two months with them before he had to make this pick and he listened to them uh kudos to the entire draft group with detroit this is like egg on our face. Happy to have I'm it. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Happy to have it. Like how far away are we from Cider going first in a redraft? Because looking through this, there's a few candidates. It's definitely not him. You can definitely – Jack Hughes probably still goes first. But Boehm Byram probably makes a case. Trevor Zegers probably makes a case. And that's probably it. Cider's in that group with them. Let's see how the season finishes out. It's a toss-up between those four guys at this point. And I think Cider is not the fourth most likely to, to go first overall in a redraft. Like, genuinely. It's not easier for forwards in the NHL. It's very tough as a, as a skilled forward coming to the NHL as a kid because you usually get dunked on physically. But it's tough for – I think it's even tougher for defensemen to do to play the kind of game he's playing right now. I don't know, man. I'm just constantly blown away by this kid. I thought it would be Lucas Raymond as the leader for for the Calder favorite the whole way, but this is going to be a, a roller coaster all season between those two. I think so. I hope so. Man, feels good. Feels good to be wrong. Pressure free. Um, okay, before we move forward, uh, I do want to tell everyone. That today's episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Yes, we've partnered up with FanDuel once again. They're a, fo- they're a sponsor that gives us hockey fans what we really need, more excitement in the game. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why they're America's number one sportsbook. Uh, they're simple to use. They have fantastic odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every single game day. Tons of fun and unique bet types like single game parlay and exclusive promotions to huge events. And when you win, you get your winning safely uh, back to you in as little as 24 hours. The ease of use, the quick withdrawals, and the odds boosts and specials are reasons why we like uh, FanDuel. And uh, there's a special offer going on. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get $1,000 back in site credit. So download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to a grand. Be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know we sent you FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 or www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia, and 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay. The Red Wings are currently in a playoff spot. Second in the Atlantic. Second in, yeah, it's a divisional playoff spot. Win percentage, they're lower. Don't, it, don't, it's fine. Don't we, worry about it. We're two weeks out from uh, Thanksgiving, which is usually the benchmark, but let's add 10 days to that because that's about how much longer, or how much later the NHL season started this year. So that puts us at about December 4th, 5th, around there. So if a week into December, the Red Wings are still in a, let's say, wild card spot, what are you thinking? What yeah. do you mean, what am I thinking? What are you thinking? Because usually the cutoff is if at Thanksgiving or adjusted this year, you're in a playoff spot, that's a pretty good odds on bet that you are going to be a playoff contender that year. So knowing what you know about the Red Wings and knowing what they still need in terms of depth 
in terms of, you know, a star left-handed defenseman in terms of a top two center. Um, what do you do at the deadline? What, how do you handle this team if you're Jeff Blatchett? Absolutely nothing to add unless it's a trade where there's term and they like the player. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And some other teams looking to sell for some whatever reason. So you're saying you do nothing to add, but you're not necessarily selling everything off. Kind of right there, hold what they're doing now, I suppose. But if an offer comes through for like, since we're talking about it in a Mesnikov, that's too good to pass up. You still sell. I think you kind of just see how the chips are falling. It would depend on the market. Um, yeah, it wouldn't so, be moving a Nemesnikov just for to mo- for the sake of moving him. Yeah, I think we're at the point in the rebuild. Third, fourth, fifth round picks don't really matter that much anymore. Um, they have a ton of them. They have a ton of prospects. A lot of them are panning out above where we thought they would. You know, the Soderblooms and the Johansons of the world. So good there. Um we all know the Red Wings issue right now is they still need probably another star up front and a number one center. You're not odds are you're not finding that outside of the first round anyway. Um, if a Nick Letty or a Robbie Fabry or even a Vladimir Mesenkov is playing so well that teams are are knocking and they're offering a first round pick, yeah, I probably still do that no matter what position they're in. Because again, as as fun as this is, and as much as I want them to make the playoffs, I think we all know they're not a cup contender. They play Florida Tampa in the first round. They're getting wiped. Like we, <laughs> okay. But imagine they play Tampa and they beat them in seven. I'll oh, never have a voice. We'll have to cancel. It oh yeah, it'd be amazing. And, game. Hey, it was last uh, 2013. The Red Wings were seventh seed and took out the two seed. And then they almost took out the eventual Cup champions in the next round. But stuff like that's not sustainable, and and it's fine. Um, so yeah, I'm. If the Red Wings are in a playoff spot, I'm not going full bonanza sell ever ufa but the pieces that are going to get me legitimately good pieces for the future you you still have to now if they're well out of a playoff spot come the trade deadline then yeah ever ufa must go because that's just the way it is um but yeah so it, it really depends like you know what happens if the goaltending market like is strong because there's a bunch of injuries and Thomas Grice is playing well. You're not going to take a second round pick for a backup goalie that's expiring at the end of the year. Of course, you're going to make that trade. You know, Lou Lamorello comes knocking. Hey, we need Nick Letty back. Here's our first. You're not going to say no to that. Yeah. So it's, you got to be optimistic and it does send a message to the room when you are in a playoff spot and you trade off a good piece. Like you got to factor that in as well. So maybe if you trade a Nick Letty, you take a spend a third round pick and get a replacement, right? Like you just upgrade a pick essentially. So you gotta it's that fine line to walk where you're not not signaling to the room we're giving up. So if you trade one player, you probably can get away with it. But if you're making two, three moves at that point, the team's gonna be pretty upset. Hey, we played our asses off for you, we're in a playoff spot, it's a trade deadline. What the hell are you doing? Players but, also get it too, like yeah, if it's a first round pick, trading, they Ryan, get it. Trading Ryan Reeves and you get a first round. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they weren't going to say no to that. Yeah. The day before, they're like, Ryan Reeves is the heart and soul of this team. We're not trading him. And then that deal came through. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. If you're trading someone, I don't know, let's just say like a Sam Gagne for a fifth. That's like, okay, but why? Yeah. Those are the trades you don't make in that circumstance. Like if, if there's... Not a trade. So again, going by this hypothetical that somehow the Red Wings are still in the playoff race at the trade deadline. If I'm not getting a top 45 pick at that point, I'm probably not making any trades because it's not worth the message it sends to the team. And again, we've we've talked at length about the percentages once you get outside of that range. And at that point, keeping the competitive spirits high in the team is probably more important for the futures of the Lucas Raymonds and the most siders and the whoever else, then the, you know, 30, 40% chance you get a third line player with like the 60th overall pick. Right. So the Red Wings have a ton of players and prospects who are going to fill those roles. Eventually, if you're getting a top 45 pick, yeah, it's probably worth the gamble. You're probably, there's a chance, a reasonable chance you're going to get a top six forward or a top four defenseman out of that. You have to do it. Red Wings need to identify who they believe are 
the 15th to 20th place teams who yeah. may make the playoffs or be first round exits and make deals with those teams who, who have this false sense of contendership. They really need Ottawa and Montreal to get a big boost this year. Yeah. So they start to flirt with the playoffs. Right right now, I don't want to even – I wouldn't even consider Florida's second-round pick for anything because I'd who wants pick 64 right now, like honestly? No, Evan's right. you got to be strategic about it as well. What's a team that might make some noise in the playoffs or might not that's not in a great spot right now and might finish around the 20 mark? Right now, if I'm looking at a team to sell to, I'm looking at Vegas. They're not going to finish high in the standings because they're missing Mark Stone. They're, they're missing Jack Eichel. Um, Max Pacioretty's out. They're probably a team that still fancies themselves a contender. And they will be a good come playoff time, but th- are they even going to get there? The main pieces that I see available for the Red Wings, and I was expecting to look at this this roster and think there weren't, aren't going to be a lot. Robbie Fabry is. Wait, sorry. Does Vegas even have their second round pick? Do they have any picks? They don't have their first because that went in the Eichel trade, but do they have their second? They don't have their fourth because Detroit has their fourth. Uh, Uh, Evan will look that up. Yeah, because like they have a second round pick. (laughs) So no first, but they have a second. They don't have their own third, but they have New York's. They don't have a fourth and they got the rest and a fifth from Chicago. So you can get a second round pick from Vegas. That'll be that might be around pick forty five this year. So like if you can get that for a Vlad Nemesnikov, you should do it. I'm looking at Robbie Fabry, who's expiring. He's gonna be a UFA. Twenty five he's twenty five years old right now. I'm looking at Vlad Nemesnikov, twenty eight years old, expiring UFA. How old is Fabry again, sorry? Fabry's twenty five currently. Yeah. Nemesnikov's twenty eight. Yeah. Uh I don't think Gagne is gonna get attention really. As what as much as I'm like Again, same as last year. Loki impressed with what he's doing for Detroit. Um, Nick, Nick Letty is going to get attention. Yep. I think Troy Stetcher will have some suitors. If he's healthy. I, I'm i going to say no on Grice just because I will never predict that for goalies. Yeah. And all that to, to not even mention Tyler Bertuzzi. Yep. So you see a left-handed defenseman like Sam Gerrard on the market. That it creates a whole other realm for for trades. I know, Evan, you said you wouldn't look to add a piece unless a good deal was there. But, hey, the Red Wings are flush with wings right now. So if I'm Eisman and the Red Wings are – if the Red Wings are in a spot with – I just love that you said wings, I, not wingers. Yeah. Uh, I would love to say that was intentional, but that's mostly because I misspeak on this podcast, which is mainly audio-focused. Um if I'm Steve Eisenman and I am not too worried about disrupting the chemistry and structure of this offense as is, i.e. when Veronica comes back, someone's going to be pushed down. I consider making a move for a Sam Gerrard type, a left-handed defenseman whose stock in Colorado is probably as low as it's going to be if you believe in him as a player, which I still think I do. Um, you can He's probably locked get him up the- for an infinity amount of years at I think what five million bucks or something. Oh yeah, he's cost like, fantastic contract. Like five million bucks and three years is going to be nothing. Is he half a foot shorter than Eisenman likes his defenseman? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but genuinely, I, I think that could be a really big opportunity for potentially, depending on where this team's at, or even to hey, let's see this team's out of the playoff picture by then. My prediction is still that they will be. All this talk is. It's just a fun hypothetical because they're there now. I do think they're going to regress the mean a little bit. Their depth scoring is not going to show up all the time. And their defense basically is built on one side only. Um, but that doesn't mean that A, they're not going to be fun still. And B, that Eisman couldn't make a move like that. So I don't know. I think there's there's that movement there. Or there's yeah. a potential for it. They've got the pieces to make actually significant changes to the team that they want to make rather than just selling off and taking picks back yeah whatever trade the red wings have they have to have an idea of the future no matter what it is so if they're giving up futures for sam gerard well sam gerard's also futures he's not that old and he's cost controlled for a long time was he 23 24 something like that 23 years old yeah so that's still a move for the future so you could trade a a joe valeno not that you know I'm, i'm singling out a guy Okay, well, they're both futures. We'll give you one Michael Rasmussen, but you I, have to add. Right now, I don't know if Leno's the guy that they would trade just because, you know, center depth is a problem. <laughs> so I'm thinking like Robbie Fabry. Like I'm looking in that territory more than anything. 
Sakic is in win now mode, but Sakic's also not a dummy. Well, Sakic also would love cap space, and they want Gerard's five mil. Yeah, oh yeah. Years Steve Eisenman is also the David Blaine of trades. Yes. But he, <laughs> yeah, but this is where other teams. Steve Eisenman took my picks. <laughs> <laughs> But this is also a market where other teams will drive up the price on Sam Gerrard. There will be teams that will offer a hell of a lot more than a Robbie Fabry. Well, if they wait for the deadline, yeah, maybe. But I don't know, man. Deadlines are boring and there's no reason oh, I, to wait. I agree. I agree. Like if I'm Eiserman, I'm calling Joe every day for the next three months. Because uh, again, if Gerrard's value is as low as it's ever going to be, you either strike now or you don't. I'm very much on board with that. Um, problem is, I don't know what that cost would be. Like Sam Gerrard's a good hockey player. Those, and he's cost controlled at a very reasonable contract. Players like that usually net a King's ransom. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at Robbie Fabry plus Bergeron. Oh, really? You think that's low? I just don't know. Or high. I don't well, know. That- let me tell you something that I've like kind of been thinking about lately. And it's a Vegas thing. Think of all the prospects that who are, we'll say, top-tier prospects that they've had that they've traded away for NHL players. They've got – they traded away Cody Glass. They traded away Peyton Krebs. They traded away Nick Suzuki. Like – Eric Brandstrom. Eric Brandstrom. And, like, those, the only guy who I've, you know, really am believing in right now is Nick Suzuki. Like, there's something there that they're tinkering with where – other teams overvalue their top end prospects. And who have they turned those players in those those prospects into? Their Max Pacioretty, <laughs> Jack Eichel, Mark Stone. I like, could run faster than Jack Eichel right now. Just putting that out there. No, it's surgery's Friday. He would absolutely torch you right now. <laughs> um so like okay, sorry, I need to specify. Fabry and Bergeron's too high or too low I for was, Gerard? I was really hoping you had distracted him enough where he'd move off this line because I uh, I reacted and now I'm in the hole. Okay, like, admittedly, that's not enough for Gerard. No, admittedly, <laughs> I, I know in terms of value, this this whole conversation, and this is my fault, I'm driving this, has gotten too fantastical and I actually hate what we're doing on principle. But, no, but for the sake of it, you're right. In value, Gerard has more value than we're giving him credit for here. I just don't like the idea of sending bona fides, like actual real realized players rather than picks in that situation uh, no are they I, realized no jonathan bergeron still probably greater than 50 percent likely to not be a top six forward now he has over the past year and change very much got that closer to the 50 percent mark like don't get me wrong i'm a believer in jonathan bergeron but i'm you look like evan just meant he, this just, is a dr- he just rattled off four surefire prospects, only one of whom has panned out at this point. This is uh, if, this, if if we had George McPhee as our GM, this trade would have been long done by now. I why are we discounting Peyton Krebs all of a sudden? I'm not. No, no, he's he's good, but he's not surefire. That was just part of the list who they had he's of bona fide one, prospects. One point in thirteen NHL games, like he, there's very much room for error with Peyton Krebs. Still, again, I like the player. I'm I'm betting on him being good for Buffalo. But, I mean, the thing you got to understand is once you're in a position to be good, this is when you have to completely flip your mindset of where we've been lately, where it's all picks and prospects. Is what has what our whole philosophy for the last five years been? Get as many picks and prospects as possible because you need good players. You get them through the draft, but so few picks pan out. I thought so, our philosophy was shut up, Brad. So we need to get as many as possible. So once you're good, you don't need to roll the dice. You can turn the dice rolls into good NHL players. So right now, if Joe Sakic wanted to offer Sam Gerrard, a good 23-year-old defenseman at a direct position of need for the Red Wings, who's cost-controlled for a player that's probably going to be a good top six forward and uh, another player who is a decent top six forward, I'm taking that trade and running. Like I'm sprinting to the phone to call NHL's trade head off, trade office to. I don't even put think that, that gets it done. To be honest, no, it doesn't. Detroit would have to add on that. But okay, yeah, okay, yes. But think of this as well. Colorado's squeezed to the cap right now. No, no, I understand that. If if this was a bubble between Eiserman and Sackick, Detroit has a lot of leverage that they could lean on. The abs with that, hey, Gerard's falling out of favor. You guys are in a cap situation. You're going to have to give McKinnon a raise soon. The value is not going to get driven up by Joe Sackick. It's going to be get get driven up by the other teams bidding on Sam Gerard. 
Is Colorado not going to feel more desperate now that Vegas has added a massive piece in that arms race? And is Colorado not going to get more desperate now because their window is not as big as people think it is? No, I agree. But if that's the case and they're like, we don't want a single future, we want to win this year, and they're putting Gerard on the table, they're not asking for Fabry. They're asking for Bertuzzi. Yeah, I think I think they're asking for Bertuzzi too. But I would then do I that, and I think I would do that too. I'd have them add, honestly. You could probably get something else out of Colorado for that, with how Bertuzzi's playing right now. Understanding the vaccine requirements are not going to be forever. Um, but yeah, that that's probably the framework for that trade, not Fabry. Anyways, I thought this was going to be a small topic. This is. Although no, is, no, because like it is a fun because this is a frame shift in terms of how this team has to approach deadlines and moving for players now. And and it's not even that. It's Gerard's the rare case of he's young enough that there's a future with him. He is the type of player the Red Wings do not have right now. And he's at a position where the three current players occupying that position are unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. This is a very unique circumstance where there's a very established NHL player now who fits the Red Wings now, who improves them now, but also still makes sense for the future when you're keeping an eye to their contending window. This is a, I genuinely, I really love this topic, but very quickly to pull it away here, Sam Gerrard's like the gold standard for what you just described. Let's go for a poor man's version of that situation. Not a poor man's Sam Gerrard, but a poor man's Dennis Chalosky. No, no. (laughs) Eric Brandstrom. Yeah, all in out of favor in Ottawa. Sure, it's a project. It's a little bit of a reclamation. You don't want to give up too much because that's a lot of uncertainty. But you could have them for probably way cheaper. Way the, cheaper. Probably second round pick right now. You do that? Probably. I'd probably do that. I don't know how many picks the Red Wings, how many second round picks they've got saved up. Because the way Ottawa, the way Ottawa's season has gone so far, they are not asking for currents. They are definitely looking for futures because they are already out of it. Um. He's the same type of player as Sam Gerrard. He's just far more uncertain. So assuming the cost is, I'm not even going to like make a hypothetical about what the cost will be, but let's assume that that cost is right on that line of what you may or may not be willing to pay. So it's a really hard decision, whether that's picks or prospects. Do you like Eric Brandstrom more than the left-handed D that are probably going to be coming up in the next two to three years for Detroit, because that's going to come down to whether or not you want to quote unquote overpay for him. Do I like Brandstrom more than Johansson or Edvinson? No. Do I like him more than Sabrango, Vero, et cetera? Yeah, probably. So if you think that Edvinson and, you know, Johansson or Wallander are your top two forever and ever, and you think Brandstrom could be a usable number five? Yeah, okay, you trade for him. But what do you pay for a number five defenseman then? Your third left defenseman. That So Ottawa can move him. I would give up a second-round pick. I don't think a second-round pick alone gets it done. So Red Wings do have Washington's second-round pick this year, so that's a possibility. Yeah, later yeah. second round pick. And maybe. Eric's Brandstrom has looked okay. He has flashes of brilliance where I'm like, holy crap, who is this guy? But yeah, he's definitely still the project. So like, it'd it, be foolish of Ottawa to give up so soon. It, it's worth noting that he was drafted four years ago. There has been four years of development since he's been drafted and it hasn't exactly left everybody in awe there's still a lot that leaves people wanting with him and like gerard he's about a half a foot shorter than what steve eisenman usually wants in a defenseman my gut's telling me eisenman's not even calling also shoots left but prefers the right side which is weird as a defenseman yeah well you can teach a lefty to play the left side because traditionally it is easier yeah anyways um these hypothetical trade discussions are funny because almost always it doesn't pan out. It's like trying to pick winning lottery numbers. There's a trillion permutations of what can happen at the trade deadline. And the most common one is nothing because that's what happens <laughs> in the NHL. Because hockey's boring when it comes to that. But it's it's think of it more as like a, a philosophical discussion of the Red Wings are not far away from. We're already in the window now where they could not be sellers and it would be 
reasonable. I think I agree with what Evan said initially, which is, you know, don't go out and seek to buy, but don't just sell everything off for the sake of like a third or fourth round pick when that player is doing well for the kids on your team now and you can bring them back maybe on another short-term deal across the board no but definitely like if you if you're not dead set on letting a guy walk i don't hate the idea of keeping him but hey it's 14 games in let's see after a week in december where we're at i'm sure we're only going to talk about it 10 or 30 more times between now and then i don't think the red wings make the playoffs hot take buddy I don't think so either. I don't know. That's what you were sort of trying to allude to. It seemed like. No, I, not that they're going to. You just don't want to pull. Like if they're if the Red Wings are two points out from the playoffs and think of what winning means to the guys on this team. You don't want to pull the floor out from, from beneath them, right? I just let them control their own destiny. But that's exactly it. Like I said earlier, if a deal comes by, that's too good to be true. Like the players in the room understand that as well. And like it is a business at the end of the day. This isn't. Boy Scouts, where everybody's hanging around the fire singing Kumbaya. Yeah. Like, do you want to win and get get into the playoffs this year, have a taste and get absolutely destroyed and it be for naught? Or do you want to win and get in the playoffs consistently in two years if you're or three years or whatever? Um, and you're you've built a better team that can sustain it longer. I, I don't know. Players don't. Players don't think like, oh yeah, well the, the team will be better in three years, so this is great. They're thinking about you. You just screwed us, and we just yeah. lost one of our buddies, and now we're not going to make the playoffs. That was one of the most rational, salient points you've made ever, and I was really fighting hard to stay tuned into that because Brad was doing what Abby does when I'm in work meetings, which is just stretch and make a lot of yawny, tired noises over here on my left. Hanging in there, pal. I just sent you a text. Or messenger group chat. Um, Okay. That's that topic for now. Uh, We're going to jump into overtime here. And before we get into overtime, I do want to tell everyone we've had uh, a little bit of a change in terms of how we're going to run overtimes. Um, Again, like I mentioned earlier, the feedback has been great. Thank you all so much. Uh, We've seen the feedback come in. We've, We've reached out to some people to try to get it. Basically, overtime started when this podcast was much, much, much smaller. Like, I am in terms of listenership and, you know, uh, the amount of patrons and um, the support and everything that we have a tenth of the size. There's really tens of us. <laughs> and uh, now it's not just um, Evan's mom listening. It's a handful of you. And so we knew it was kind of coming for a little while in terms of scaling. Uh, the quality of the show was suffering uh, at the end of the episode. Um, but we always wanted to make kind of, it's, it's fun for us. It's a lot of fun to do overtime, but it doesn't always make for the best audio. So we've changed things up. Um, patrons, if you haven't already seen the post on Patreon, go take a look. Uh, it outlines everything, including some other fun stuff that we're going to be doing, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Basically, we're going to pick out a few questions every episode at the very least, um, answer them, talk about them if they're uh, good discussion points. Um, or relevant to this episode and uh, that's what's going to be in the main episode and for patrons we are still going to read all the questions answer everything and uh, go through that and that's going to be posted as an additional patreon exclusive episode directly on patreon probably around the next day depending on uh, time allowing for editing and posting and stuff so uh, you'll still have every everything read out and we're going to try to cycle people through and make sure that your your comment gets read out um, over time but yeah that's that's our plan for um improving the show's quality and and keeping maybe not our 45 episodes all the time um okay patreon overtime brought to you by our patrons patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show uh clearly hot for clearly says new patron here been listening uh to you guys for a couple years now and want to thank three of you yes even you brad for all you do got me through a pretty dark time during the pandemic who is your favorite fourth line Red Wing since 2015, not named Darren Helm or Luke Glendenning? Steve Ott, moving on. Oh, is this just a Brad? No, I think uh, it's all of us. Favorite fourth line since 2015. I think he was still there. Drew Miller. Oh, Miller. Eves is another good one. Yeah. Drew Miller and Eves. Although I think Evan has it with Ott. Witter is another good, yeah. good answer there. Uh, Darup. 
says, Ned's poke check, goddamn. I was talking to a friend about this after the Oilers game. Do you feel that Ned is going to be one of those streaky confidence is the important aspect because I'm an athletic freak type netminders? I don't know. I really haven't seen a ton of inconsistency from him over the last year and change in his game. So uh, ideally, no. He's got confidence, but he's definitely has that like very calm. Like when we spoke to him, he's just very like, yeah, it's cool. Like just very composed. I feel like, yeah, I, I do feel like he's more composed and I think we need to see more of this season before we make that declaration one, one way or another, but I don't get the Mrazic feeling from him so far. No, me neither. Um, Matt S says, first of all, I can't wait to see everyone on Saturday question for you, Evan, how much do us listeners have to donate to the Jamie Daniels foundation for a hot tub podcast to happen? You don't have enough money. <laughs> Everyone, ex- Elon Musk would have to sell all of his Bitcoin <laughs> for you to even have a chance for me to consider that. I'm telling Ken that you're sitting. Oh, Ken's on- allowed. No, Ken's no, no, no. invited over. <laughs> no, I'm telling Ken you're sitting on a gold mine because you could get so much money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation if you just let this happen. I would do a podcast with Ken and Mick in the hot tub, oh. not you two scrubs. <laughs> how much? How many people could you fit in there? It's an eight-person hot tub. Okay, so we can all fit. No, but then our feet are touching and it's weird. <laughs> You're wondering whose foot that is. You know what? That's the first point I've agreed with him on. <laughs> <laughs> I, was actually, uh, I was actually trying to get his attention earlier and I was actually trying to touch his foot. So That didn't work. Um, and I'm Devin says, what are your thoughts on players aging through rebuilds? Bertuzzi is producing great. Um, but knowing Detroit's timeline, maybe four years out, he'll be 30 by then. Do you move him for assets or do you keep him and see him through the process and replace him as he ages out? See Mantha comma Anthony. That worked out well. And the important thing to remember about Mantha is there was flexibility there. Eisenman signed a flexible contract where if he wanted to keep him, he could have, and he could have dealt him at any point. It just so happened that the right offer came like 10 minutes after he signed, whatever that was. Noisy Wallace says, hey guys, new patron here. Uh, welcome to the Dubbed Up Club. Listen to my first episode in May of 2019, and I have not missed one since. You've been a joy to listen to, and you've made me an even, even bigger Wings fan in the process. Lost my job during COVID, or I would have done this a lot sooner. Well, happy to hear that you're back on your feet, and thank you um, for the support. Question is, uh, while this is the most fun I've had watching the Wings in over a decade, do you think our success this season could hinder the rebuild if it continues? Not with us. Smart GM. Nope. Now that the roster is primarily younger players, it's good to have them realize they can compete, build the confidence, and just kind of get a better mentality back in the room because these are the guys who are going to carry it in the room for the next half decade at least the winning yeah there's not you really can't over overstate the winning culture and what that does for a team you know i talked earlier about that mental game with ronick the differences you're seeing in larkin this year like you need yeah the talent helps in in playing with better players of course that's going to be the biggest driver but you need to believe that you can go out there and do that every game hockey is the most mental sport mental professional sport there is disagree golf no, okay. Well, said professional sport. No, I'm kidding. I think golf's a professional sport, but you're right. Hockey's the second most mental sport, professional sport there is. Agreed. It doesn't matter what your physical skill set is. You can go out there and be an absolute bonehead if you're in your own head or just like something has you distracted or whatever it might be. You're just in a slump. You got the yips, whatever it is. Um, and it takes a lot to break it out. That's why I don't really love when people say coaches don't have an effect on the game. I think they do. And I think it's a very real effect in, in either direction. So getting those guys, if you do nothing else but keep your guys playing close to their best or at least dialed in. The best GMs know exactly what they have with their team and they don't let emotional fandom or whatever you want to call it get in the way of what their current goals are, their two-year goals, their five-year and their 10-year. Like, what do the wings do? Load up now and then they're going head to head with Toronto, Florida, Tampa for the next decade? Like, you, you got to buy at the right time. 
All right, and uh, last comment here because it made me laugh. I just got it now. Zach Tretnick says, uh, my brother-in-law listens to this podcast, and I would love for you guys to wish Joe Vickers a very happy loss to me in fantasy. Better luck next year, loser. Joe, better luck next year, you loser. Kidding. Uh, all right, folks, thank you all so much for tuning into the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, patrons, stay tuned uh, for the Patreon exclusive overtime coming later on. Uh, and bear with us as we figure out the best way to kind of run through this. This is our first time trying it out. Um, folks, we are very nearly sold out out of Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA tickets. There are legitimately, I think, a dozen or so left. Link in the bio of this episode to check that out. Uh, check your emails or DM, uh, winged wheel at winged wheel pod on Twitter for the details. Um, and we'll see you all Saturday. Thank you to our name level spot. Thank you to our, uh, the show sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook and to our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen, Anna Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstem, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hanali, Hassam al Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin in the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Shea Lobsinger's number one Stan, Slog, Slog Noggin, <laughs> Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Ass, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, um, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max $1 million, Michael Alsante, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. See you all on Saturday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.